Hello, my name is Adrian Goldberg and welcome to Byline Radio. Today, getting reaction to Rishi Sunak's spring statement in the House of Commons. The mini-budget, really, which sets the tone for the government's economic policies. And some eye-catching headlines... Income tax being cut. Uh, Rishi Sunak said this has only happened twice in the last 20 years. He's reduced the basic level of income tax to 19 pence in the pound. Some other eye-catching measures as well. He said that fuel duty is going to be cut by 5 pence per litre from 6pm tonight, and that will continue until March. That uh, That home energy... And home insulation will be zero rated uh, on VAT, which he attributed that tax cut to being made possible because of Brexit. And also doubling the household support fund to £1 billion to help less well-off people meet their energy bill. So on the face of it, it is a giveaway budget, but straight away... In response, Labour, Rachel Reeves at the dispatch box asking questions, why didn't Rishi Sunak issue a windfall tax on the energy companies who have profited so hugely from the increase in oil prices over the last few months, not least because of the war in Ukraine. We're going to speak to Otto English, a.k.a. Andrew Scott from the Byline Times, and Jeevan Sander. Jeevan is a, an economist at King's College London. Let's welcome uh, Otto English into the conversation first. Hello, Otto. Hi. 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 Can you hear me, yeah, Adrian? Nice to speak to you. It was very much, I thought, uh, a, a spring statement to appeal to the Tory backbenchers, very much about tax cutting and... Yeah. In, in some in some respects, there is help there for ordinary, hardworking people, as they like to describe them. Yeah. Well, I, I thought the preamble was the. I mean, you know, from the bizarrest <laughs> was the bizarrest thing. The the lengthy uh, evocation of the war in Ukraine and uh, almost like an apprentice style pitch to be. Um, well, to be to be Britain's, you know, next apprentice. I felt I felt like that. That preamble was really strange. I thought with the, the um, yeah, it felt like he was trying to pitch to be prime minister. But you're right, there was there were some measures in there, some eye catching measures, which I felt he delivered in a sort of Noel Edmonds game show style, along the lines of, <laughs> "We're not going to give you that." We're not going to give you £300. We're going to give you £3,000. <laughs> I, I thought it was really peculiar. Um, 5p off fuel, of course, which will be welcome. But then, of course, that that sort of takes it back to the price that fuel was last week, which is well above the price that it was four weeks ago. So uh, although that, again, might sound like an eye-catching measure, um, you know, you're you're sort of you're, you're throwing uh, you're throwing water into an empty bucket almost, aren't you? And of course, <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, and of course, that, that does go to the point that Rachel Reed Labour raised. Yeah, the the significant sums that the energy companies will be generating yeah. from the price increase, which has happened not just over a week or so, but has been gradually increasing over many months. So no, no. appetite there to challenge the the wealth of those giant corporations. No, uh, the comparison was immediately made with uh, Ireland, of course, which slashed the price of uh, well, slashed 
fuel uh, VAT by 15 cents, I think. Was it last week or the week before? So, you know, he, he says it's some great eye-catching measure, but it's as nothing it's as nothing really is it is it especially given the cost of living crisis i mean pretty much everything he's promised the cost of living crisis will suck it dry won't it you're listening to Byline Radio a little later than we normally go live today because we're taking account of the spring statement by the Chancellor Rishi Sunak. My name's Adrian Goldberg. Otto English from the Byline Times is with us. We're going to speak in a moment to Jeevan Sander as well, who is an economist at King's College London. Very keen to get your reaction too. If you're listening on a phone, you will be able to join in. On the phone, you can tap the little microphone icon in the bottom left-hand corner of your screen and request access. Uh, request access. Of course, this is in the context of what all parties acknowledge is a cost of living crisis. So I'm just keen to explore how this will impact you. Will the Chancellor's eye-catching tax reductions help make much difference in your rising energy bills, your rising heating and food bills as you go through your, your daily life. By all means, do get in touch. Uh, let's bring in uh, Jeevan Sander. Jeevan, uh, one thing that intrigued me was mm-hmm. the claim, uh, very much cheered on by the Tory backbenches, that the reductions in VAT on home insulation, home energy-saving devices such as solar panels, were only made possible because, according to Rishi Sunak, in 2019, a ruling by the European Court of Justice meant that they could not be zero VAT rated. But Chris Bryant, the Ronda MP, Labour MP for Ronda, says that these measures were already zero uh, VAT exempt in the EU. He says it's it's simply not true to say that this is a benefit of Brexit. I don't know if you know that about that one, G, but I'm just throwing that at you. But it, it was very much trumpeted as a Brexit benefit. But Chris Bryant suggesting that not for the first time, perhaps, a Brexit benefit isn't all that it seems to be. Perhaps not. First of all, <clears throat> sorry, it's wonderful to be here. I mean, what's the bigger question here? The idea that, what, you have lower VAT, but actually... What you need is help to insulate your homes and put in those heat pumps. We need the funding to get there. No new funding today to replace the Green Homes Grant. No new funding for home insulation. No new funding for what we actually do to get to net zero. This government already wasn't spending enough. There was no new money announced for that today. Whether the VAT is slightly lower or not, it doesn't help those on low incomes. You certainly can't even afford to pay the bills, let alone insulate their homes. And more broadly as well, I am very surprised the Chancellor didn't have a massive hat rabbit coming out of his hat. I mean, you know, we know that uh, the average family faces a full income between 1000 and £1,500. And his big showpiece was a £330 tax cut. Now, that will help, but it won't do what is actually needed. This is still going to be a very, very difficult year ahead. And the other thing I would pick up on is this plan to cut income tax in the future. Let's be clear about what it means to raise national insurance and cut income tax. That's a transfer from young, low-income people to richer, wealthier ones. Because income tax is levied on all your income and is more progressive the national insurance. National insurance, on the other hand, only levied on your wages, not on any income you have from assets, and is less protected. So what has the Chancellor done today? He hasn't produced enough to help families, especially low-income families, by the way. There will be a lot more hungry children 
and freezing pensioners, but also has done so to help people who donate to his party and, dare I say, also help himself. OK, well, just play that down for me, Jeevan, because on the face of it, mm. if you watch the spring statement, you will have the Chancellor say that the threshold at which people pay national insurance is now equalised with the mm -hmm. threshold at which people pay income tax. So both of those figures now are set at £12,750. So if you are a low earner, Mm -hmm. You won't be paying any income tax, or indeed if you're any kind of earner, you won't be paying any income tax or national insurance on the first nearly £13,000 of your income. In itself, that surely must help the low paid. Uh, it certainly will. That measure alone will need to arise in incomes of, I think, £330 was the figure we got. That will help. The question is, firstly, about the future plans. But on the other side of it as well, you do still have that tax increase of 1.25%. So that's exactly where it bites. But of course, there'll be a certain point at which when you earn enough, you're going to start to lose out until any future tax rate cut comes in. I'm guessing at around 30 grand, but I'll have to, I'll have to check that. That will certainly help in the short run, but also isn't kind of close to the scale that we need it to be. And in the future, if you cut income tax by a penny, that income tax benefits everyone who gets their income from, let's say, dividends or from rent, whereas the national insurance cut or other rise doesn't impact them on that side. That's where the kind of change in the future will be. And also national insurance is less progressive than income tax. And so this tax cut he's got planned for the future will help the wealthiest people in this country, will help older people as well. But national insurance paid by non-pensioners and working families will be still be hit by that 1.25% rise that's still coming in, or actually more actually 2.5% rise because on the employer and the employee. Overall, and again, I'm not an economist, I was uh, boasting to Otto that I got a grade B at GCSE in economics. He only got a C, <laughs> I got a C. It, it remains the great, great miracle of my life that I got to see, actually. But anyway, carry on. <laughs> I was going to say, Jeevan, oh. listening to this, it did seem like, I mean, it was, it was a budget which was geared towards headlines in Conservative-supporting newspapers. It does allow the Conservatives to portray themselves as the party of low tax and the party of tax cuts. On what was presented in the Commons today, I was left with a big question. Well, how is this going to be paid for? In terms, I mean, there's the kind of the good news on the Treasury side, on the public finance side, is actually this year, borrowing is about 20 billion lower than expected. And inflation actually kind of helps you to pay off your debt. More people are earning more in nominal, but not real terms. And also tax revenue is slightly higher than we were expecting. Actually, on the side of how to pay for it, we're actually kind of very in a very good position. The other thing to say is we're borrowing at the moment at less than 0% because inflation is high. And at the moment, we borrow about 1.5, 1.8 when I looked this morning. So actually, it's more than affordable. And in the broader scheme of things, look, our debt to GDP ratio is over about 100%. I'm guessing 105, 110. I haven't seen the OVRs biggest today. To put that into perspective, when you get a mortgage, your loan to income ratio is three to one or 300%. And you pay that down throughout your life cycle. The difference between yourself and a government is that unfortunately, we're all going to die and have to pay off that debt. 
but governments don't. So governments can carry a lot more debt than we can, certainly higher than 300%. And actually, we have what we have now, a once in 50-year crisis, the largest fall in income for 50 years. You should absolutely be borrowing the cash and helping families out. So the appeal to the backbenches, the appeal to the right-wing papers of mm. we are a tax-cutting party, we're a, a party that believes that the individual can spend their money more wisely than the government can, masks a, a kind of, I'm, I'm trying to put words into your mouth here perhaps, but kind of masks a lack of courage or a lack of belief in going the other way, in expanding public debt so that people are cushioned further from this unprecedented rise in the cost of living? I would say, yeah, I'd say actually more like a small and cynical politics that says, I will cater to my voters and those on low incomes, be damned. There was nothing today on social security payments. We should be clear about what that means. Today, or this year rather, prices will rise by over 8% and probably higher than 10%, we're now thinking. Social security payments will only go up by 3%. Now, what does that mean? It means the most deprived people in this country, pensioners, the severely disabled and children will suffer the most because they can't make up the difference between lower social security payments and higher prices. The Chancellor had almost nothing for them today. That 500 million is a sticking plaster. It doesn't get close to the 10 billion you needed to get to inflation. And more broadly, I think we discussed it a little bit earlier. The Chancellor opened up today talking about the strength of democracies. The truth is, what has weakened democracies across the developed world in the last 30 to 40 years is precisely the low spending ideology of the Chancellor. It's precisely when people don't have a stake in the economic system because their prosperity has been reduced, that they begin to turn away from democracy altogether. This Chancellor has had, hasn't had, it would appear, an original idea in the last 30 or 40 years. Like Things have changed and things have changed quite a lot. Yes, and the increase in five hundred million pounds that you were referencing was the an additional five hundred million pounds, half a billion pounds added mm. into the household support fund. This is money which is distributed by local authorities to needy individuals, to needy families, but that's on a more discretionary basis. And you're arguing that given the cost of living crisis that we're all going through at the moment, or at least those of us who are not billionaires, that you needed to uplift benefits by at least the rate of inflation for everybody, not just those who satisfy whatever criteria their local council lays down. Yeah, exactly that. And the amount that's there will just be nowhere near enough. So to get inflation, uh, to get social security payments, including pensions, by the way, up to inflation rates to 7 to 8% would have cost about 10 billion. So half a billion is just not going to do it. It's not going to do the job. And who's the least likely to get it? the most deprived, the most isolated. Like, there will be a lot more hungry children. There'll be a lot more freezing pensioners after today. Jeevan Sandra is with us here on Byline Radio. He's an economist at King's College London. If you've got a question to ask for him, I know Jeevan won't be here throughout our broadcast. So if you do want to ask him a question, by all means, ask it now. My name's Adrian Goldberg. You're listening to Byline Radio from the Byline Times. If you want to know what we are, well, we are... Free and fearless independent journalists. And you can get a fantastic monthly paper called the Byline Times. If you take out a subscription to that, you'll be supporting Byline Radio, which is what you're listening to now if you're live, or the Byline Times podcast, which is where we broadcast the catch-up of Byline Radio. So head over to our website, 
bylinetimes.com. That's where you'll find details of how to subscribe. That's at bylinetimes.com to support Byline Radio and get a fantastic paper in the Byline Times. Uh, Otto, I just wanted to uh, reflect really on what Jeevan was saying in terms of Rishi Sunak's personal ambition here. You said that at the start he, he was trying to strike this broader note here and sounding perhaps, in his own mind anyway, very prime ministerial. Yeah, it, it's deliberate, wasn't it? It was a very <laughs> deliberate pitch for the job. I, I mean, I, I, I think he's been on a deliberate pitch for the job ever since he turned up at number 11, to be honest, with his Instagram-friendly uh, personality and strutting poses. It, a, a lot of this does seem to be about Rishi Sunak rather than the uh, the British economy. Um I suppose all politicians act like that to some extent, but it it seemed particularly brazen when he was talking about Ukraine. He was striking a very prime ministerial pose, wasn't he? And and throwing the throwing the little pieces of meat about Brexit to the back benches, which might have all been to nothing anyway. I was also uh, when I was watching it, I got the impression that he was. Um, reducing uh, income tax by a penny immediately. But I I missed that. It was a case of jam today, wasn't it? Or rather jam tomorrow. Uh, It was an aspiration over the next three years, not a natural uh, drop. Or have I missed that? Uh, Well, Jeevan, can you clarify that for us? I confess if if it was a sleight of hand, I missed it. Maybe that's the nature of sleight of hand. I don't know. I took it when I was watching it, Jeevan, that it was was an instant uh, cut, or at least from this tax year. So the NASA insurance threshold is going up uh, from, I think, immediately... So yeah, I think yeah. the next one. The and then the, but what about the cutting income tax down to 19p in the pound, the basic that's rate? A, that's, a, that's a plan in the future, basically. Yeah, and that's an aspiration. But that, that was a sleight of hand because it did feel like the rabbit he was pulling out of the hat at the end. But it was it was an aspiration over the next two, three years. So that's not a proper policy, really, is it? Well, no, I, I was rushing to cut my hair at that point, but I, yeah. he promised a, he promised a rabbit. What we got a gerbil, a guinea pig, <laughs> or, or jam tomorrow? Yeah, <laughs> uh, guys, this is yeah. fantastic. But I I now have to head. I apologise, but look, I hope you have a wonderful time. It's great. Oh, it's great to speak to you. You too, Jeevan, that's been fantastic insight. Thank you so much for your time. That's uh, Jeevan Sander from King's College London. Fear not, though, Otto, the grade C and the grade B economic. <laughs> we have another expert with us. Uh, Robert Thank goodness. Palmer. Robert Palmer yeah. from uh, Tax Justice UK. Hello, Robert. Welcome along. Hi, how are you? Hi, Robert. Yeah. Hi. Well, welcome, welcome to Byline Radio, uh, Robert. So, Robert, uh, Jeevan's given us a really interesting counter-narrative to that of Richie Sunak himself, suggesting that uh, although this will be presented as a tax-cutting giveaway budget, actually, for many poorer people in the UK, for many people who rely on benefits, this actually will not deliver an increase in benefits, it will not deliver increase in the quality of their life. He said, and I quote, there will be many more hungry children as a result of this budget. Is that how you see it? It's exactly how I see it. Um, what we've had today is Rishi Sunak cutting 
taxes on really kind of like middle earners. You know, if you're a really low earner, the the, the cut in rates on the thresholds and the NICs won't really affect you. And then in terms of extra support, given the cost of living crisis, it's very paltry amount of money. He announced another half a billion pounds to be split across councils across the country. You know, this is this is a really small amount of money. And the context is today, the official government forecasters said that people are facing the biggest fall in living standards since the 1950s. So just that's almost 70 years, the biggest fall in living standards. And what we've got is um, some tax cuts for middle earners, some of which aren't going to come into place for two years time um, and very, very little extra support for those who are suffering. Um, A bit of money for, for drivers. Um, but really, it feels as though Rishi Sunak has been miss- missing an action today. That's a very interesting perspective, Robert. We're talking about inflation running at 6.2%, I think was the figure announced today. And Sunak himself acknowledged that that will rise to 7.4%. And he, he got that declaration out of the way pretty early in his presentation, didn't he? And then there were these headline-grabbing statements that there will be a cut of five pence per litre in fuel duty, which, of course, motorists will welcome because it will be an immediate uh, bit of relief in the pocket, as it were. He talked about zero rating VAT on energy and insulation, and he, he claimed that this is some a tax relief that would not have been allowed had we stayed within the European Union. That's already been vigorously contested on social media. And we've also got the doubling of the household support fund administered by local authorities to the neediest people in their communities from £500 million to a billion pounds. And this, as we now discover, slightly illusory cut in income tax. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, but, you know, those are headline grabbing measures, aren't they? All of them, which will have some resonance somewhere across the country. And I think what we've seen is the Chancellor is using his spring statement to to start a campaign for an election in two years, while millions are going to wonder how they're going to heat their homes and what they're going to eat in two days. So it feels as though this was very much a set of announcements geared at getting headlines and setting up you know, Rishi Sunak and the Conservative Party for an election in a couple of years' time. Um, And also, I think, importantly, for the internal party politics, being able to satisfy the Conservative backbenchers who've been asking for tax cuts. Um, You know, this is still a Chancellor who has raised taxes overall, you know, raised corporation tax, raised national insurance through the new health and social care levy, frozen thresholds. So while on the one hand, he's raising taxes, he's also cutting other taxes. So the kind of big announcement of himself as the this big tax cutting chancellor, overall, it doesn't add up. Also, the cut on VAT for home insulation is not available in Northern Ireland because of the Northern Ireland Protocol. Now, the Northern Ireland Protocol was signed by this government, but was signed by Boris Johnson, I don't mean by the Conservative government, but by Boris Johnson's government in order to secure Brexit. So there are people within our United Kingdom who will not feel the benefit of that because of of another policy aim of this government, the same Brexit that he's trumpeting as the cause for the ability to 
create a, a zero rating on VAT, the same Brexit is denying some of our fellow citizens that zero rating on VAT. Yeah, I thought it was interesting the way he sold that because he was almost making it sound like it was the fault of the EU that um, people in Northern Ireland couldn't get that benefit. But, of course, as you point out, it was a deal that we, we asked our own government signed. I mean, an agreement our own government signed. It's a very peculiar attitude and a very peculiar narrative that they continue to spin on that, on the Northern Ireland Protocol. Yeah. And Robert, I'm just keen to explore this. And Jeevan mentioned it, this the idea that on the one hand, you cut income tax, which some people will welcome anyway, hard pressed taxpayers, et cetera, et cetera, raising the national insurance rate. Just explain to us why that helps perhaps older people and disadvantages younger people, because I don't think that will be immediately apparent to some of our listeners. So what the Chancellor has done is, as you say, he is raising the threshold at which you start to pay national insurance. Um, And at the moment, uh, you start paying national insurance at about £9,000, whereas you start paying income tax at about £12,500. So what he's promised to do from July is make sure that those are at the same level. Now, there are lots of people out there who earn less than £9,000 already. So this this really won't help those on the lowest incomes. It's It will be a boost to those on on, on middle incomes. Um, and at the same time, we've got a promised cut to income tax in a couple of years' time. So this, this kind of he's done a mix of things and a mix of different times and they will come in. I think the big picture is the official government forecaster, the Office for Budget Responsibility, has given Rishi Sunak a bit of a cash pile, a, a windfall. And what he's done is he's spent that windfall on cutting taxes a little bit and not on prioritising help for lower middle incomes when it comes to dealing with the cost of living crisis that we're all facing. Some interesting comments on social media. Martin Lewis, the uh, consumer guru, if I can call him that, says with a 1B cut in income tax basic rate in 2024, it looks like we know when the next general election is then. Yeah. Uh, Prem, Prem Sicker, who's a very highly regarded economist, says 42% of UK adults pay no income tax because their taxable income is less than the tax-free allowance of £12,570. Let that sink in, says Prem. 42% survive on less than £12,570. How will they cope with higher food and energy costs? The government has no policies for eradicating extreme poverty. If you want to join in, by the way, if you're listening on the phone and not listening back on the Byline Times podcast, if you are listening on your phone, in the bottom left-hand corner, there is a little microphone. If you tap that, you can request access. If you've got something to contribute, a comment to make, by all means, make it or indeed a question to ask. We've got Robert Palmer with us from Tax Justice UK and Byline Times writer and grade C at GC. <laughs> A-level. A-level. Oh, oh, A-level. Sorry, I missed that correction. No, no, no. Let's, let's, we're going to have this fight later, Adrian. A-level. Oh, sorry, grade I, well, C. my grade B that I was preening myself. Oh, no, no. You see, I finally trumped you. I've trumped you, you see. <laughs> 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 but you're listening yeah. to my line radio, mate. Zugzwang. 
Uh, yeah. Also English, the A-level economic student, <laughs> Robert, Robert, Robert Palmer, are with us. And uh, we're just reflecting on the spring statement by Rishi Sunak. And we are publishing or broadcasting in conjunction with the Byline Times. If you don't know what it is, well, it's a, a newspaper that reports without fear, or favour. Independent, no oligarch behind us, none of your traditional proprietors, nothing like that. We're just funded by ordinary people. The deal is you take out a subscription or even better still, a membership of the Byline Times. You get the Byline Times newspaper, which is monthly for your money, but you're also helping to support these broadcasts, whether on Byline Radio or Listen Again on the Byline Times podcast. And you're also helping to support our news-breaking website, which is at bylinetimes.com. And that's where you'll find details details of how to subscribe that's at bylinetimes.com so robert it's interesting again the obsession that the chancellor had with cutting the national debt and he said i think the current national debt is 83 percent of gdp i stand to be corrected on that and he wants to reduce that to 79 percent if my notes are correct why is that such a big deal because on the face of it, we're talking about four percentage points. What what does that matter? Well, I mean, that is a very good question, because when it comes to the government debt, what really matters is how much it costs the government to pay uh, the interest rate on that debt. And at the moment, the government is paying some of the lowest rates uh, on the government debt that it's ever paid. Um, you know, people desperately want to borrow money from the government because they see it as a good investment. So the government does have more space to borrow um, and to borrow to invest. And, you know, one of the things I think the cost of living crisis and the war in Ukraine has shown is how much we need to rethink our energy systems to make it more sustainable, both when thinking about dealing with the climate crisis, but also to make sure we are not dependent on oil and gas from Russia uh, or from other countries. Um, so I think, um, you know, this very almost obsessive focus on the exact amount of the national debt is a, a, debt is a bit of a distraction. There's a lot of economic uh, consensus that actually the government has more space to invest. I mean, it's interesting when Rishi Sunak was given more money to invest by the Office for Budget Responsibility, he's invested that in tax cuts rather than on spending to help people with the cost of living crisis or to help with um, getting our economy and getting our energy systems in a better place. Mm. I think Rishi Sunak quoted a figure of £83 billion as the amount that we pay in debt interest each year. So, I mean, that is real money that is going out of the economy. He said more borrowing is not cost or risk-free. So I suppose the... The, the prudent economists say, look, you know, we, we can't just borrow ad infinitum. Well, I mean, the, um, the government is different from an individual household. You know, the UK government can print money. And actually, over the last two years with the pandemic, the government has printed an awful lot of money. Um, and it was able to do that. So there's a lot of scope for the government to be able to pump more money in to support households and to support us dealing with the various crises that this country is facing. Uh, you know, the, the, the Chancellor uh, has uh, used the extra money available to him to cut taxes rather than to invest in supporting people or invest in getting our economy to the place it needs to be. 
He does say as well that he expects public finances to worsen. So this tax cutting is within this context. He says that the war in Ukraine hasn't yet been factored in by the Office of Budget Responsibility. So he's trying to create a little bit more room, I suppose, for the debt burden to, to get bigger. Yeah, I'm great. I mean, we, you know, we don't know what the future holds in the last two years have been who would have predicted them. Um, mm. So, you know, the Chancellor does want to keep a bit of a war chest. And I imagine he also wants to keep a war chest for potentially further tax cuts in advance of, of an election. Um, I mean, just on the tax cuts, I think it's worth saying that what he's done for individual taxes is he has um, increased national insurance and decreased income tax. And income tax is more progressive. And so this is a kind of weird mishmash approach. You know, it's almost like there's a bit of a magic trick sleight of hand in terms of which taxes are going up and which taxes are going down so that the chancellor can say, look, I'm cutting all your taxes. And yet at the same time, overall, he has been increasing taxes. Um, yeah, but that, that distinction as well, Robert, and this, if, if people are tuning in now, just probably worth mining into that a little bit more. Jeevan raised this earlier, but if you are, let's say, living on what's often described as unearned income, if you're living on share dividends, for example, or rental income from a property that you own, that will be classed as income. You may you may not work in the conventional sense, but that will be income coming to you that you have to declare. So those people, the people I've described, the shareholders, the people with rental properties, will more likely be older people, more likely be middle-class people. They, as well as the rest of the population, will be enjoying a tax cut. And th that's the bit where people who believe in progressive taxation feel that this is an inequitable change. Exactly, exactly. And so, you know, there's lots that the Chancellor could have done. For example, a windfall tax on the soaring profits of the energy giants um, or looking at the ways, as you just talked about, how um, wealthy people and people who have their income from wealth tend to pay lower rates of tax. Um, so, you know, the government and the Chancellor has political options about where to invest. I mean, I think, you know, the last thing perhaps I'll say before I have to head off is just to zoom out. I think the important thing is, like overall, the big picture is the Chancellor had some money to spend. He did not spend it on supporting people who are really struggling with the cost of living. Instead, he supported it on some tax cuts, some of which are promised in the future for people on more middle incomes. And I think that's the big takeaway that I'd like to leave you with. Robert, thank you very much indeed. Robert Palmer from Tax Justice UK. If you do want to join in, now is the moment. As I say, if you're listening on the phone, listening live, there is a microphone icon in the bottom left of your screen. Do join in. If you don't, we're going to wrap up the conversation. <laughs> well, we are, because, well, that's the great thing. I've got to say, uh, Otto Andrew, uh, Otto English, real name Andrew Scott, just in case people are confused about <laughs> like that. One of the great things about this, two great things about this, actually, normally we broadcast live via Twitter spaces at 12 every day. And I was thinking, well, we're going to be talking while the Chancellor is giving his speech in the House of Commons. Yeah. How, can we, how can we do it? And then I thought, oh, well, I'll tell you what we can do. We can move it a bit later. Nobody will mind. In fact, it's a better programme for us. Yeah. So we were able to do that. But the other, the other great thing is that kind of when we've said it, and we've had two really insightful contributions from Jeevan 
and from Robert. If we if we've said all we've had to say, well, that's fine. We can, we can all go home. Yeah, right. I thought they had to, and what they had to say was was fascinating, wasn't it? I mean, really insightful analysis there from both of them. Yeah. Well, I mean, I have to say, you know, at a, at a level that you'd you'd struggle to find in what a what we might sometimes call mainstream media, quite honestly. <laughs> um, True. But yeah, I mean, and I think there has been talk within the government of some kind of tension between Boris Johnson, because Johnson, we know that Johnson, in some respects, although he's kind of become very ideological over Brexit, for example, really, his obsession is with power, getting power, keeping power. And he'll appeal to a kind of very nationalist base in order to do that. And he will also, as we saw during covid he will spend money if if you spend other people's money of course taxpayers money if he thinks that will help to boost his popularity so he isn't necessarily an economically dry conservative an ideologically dry conservative rishi sunak is i mean sunak by instinct, is a dry conservative. And, you know, he went, in fairness, as the need arose during COVID, he went against that instinct. We can argue about whether the amount of money were were large enough and whether the, you know, the packages, there were people who fell through the cracks of the incentive system if you were off work, for example. And there was also the massive COVID rip-off. Yeah, but uh, I, I, apart from anything else, I don't think he really had any option. Did he? I mean, it was an unprecedented event. And and what happened here was little different to what happened in other advanced Western democracies. I mean, the the alternative to doing uh, what he did would have been to do nothing. And that would have spelled disaster on the economy and on on millions of voters' lives, rendering them probably unelectable. (laughs) <laughs> so well, yeah, I, think... I mean, I was, uh, Otter, I, I was just trying to be fair. Here. <laughs> I, was trying to, I was trying to give the guy. Uh, you're too kind, Adrian. You're too kind. I mean, uh, yes, they had to do something, and that's what they. Did. I mean, it was a wartime footing, essentially, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, they yeah. had but, to rejig but, the economy yeah. for the for. But what they did was little. I mean, you know, I think on this on these islands, we we have often an island mentality in which we don't see that what we're doing is what everybody else is doing. It's that sort of exceptionist spirit bleeds through into all of us. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, sorry, anyway, carry no, on. No, no, you're right, you're right, you're right. Uh, you know, he, he couldn't do nothing, but I suppose he, he uh, for whatever reason, he, he never yeah. did it. So at least he rose to the occasion, did what he had to do, but it was where my point was that for Johnson, it's a bit, a bit of a shrug of the shoulders, okay, that's what we've got to do. Whereas for Sunak, you get the sense that yeah. he really would go against the grain. And he, he made, again, he, one of these big grandstanding statements at the start of his statement today when he talked about, you know, we are the party of public service, the NHS is safe in our hands, all those lines. By the way, we want to cut taxes. And we think that... It's all they ever... Have- yeah, uh, it's all they ever want to do. Spend, I mean, spend your money better than we can. Well, it's well, which one are you then? You know. But also the, the the debt, that enormous debt that has built up, built up. You know, when Cameron came in in two thousand and ten, that was his 
that was his his uh, asserted aim, wasn't it? It was to cut the deficit and all of those things. That they've been in control of the economy now for twelve years. They, they've they've been at the wheel of this country for twelve years, and yet they seem to act ever more like sort of startled rabbits who who are going, "Oh dear, look, we've got this enormous debt." Uh, you know, I mean, who can they blame now? They can't blame Labour because they've been in office for 12 years. They can no longer blame the EU or migrants. I mean, it's a, it's on their, you know, it's on their clock. It's on their uh, watch, isn't it? Mm. Uh, he addressed an issue, which I think is very important, actually, and perhaps underrated in all of this, which is about Britain's lack of productivity as a nation. He compared us unfavourably to Germany and France in that regard, the lack of capital investment in British business. I thought it was significant that the changes that is going to eventually bring about in those areas were not now. Again, you know, you go back to this legacy of 12 years. And okay, he hasn't been Chancellor for 12 years, but you've got these really deep structural problems with the British economy. Uh, another one being the, the lack of skills as well, which goes back to education and failures in education. And again, I'm not making a part of a political point here. Yeah. Uh, weakness in British education, in state education, goes back decades. But the number of people leaving school without basic qualifications is shocking in this country. So he kind of acknowledged all that. You know, we need to increase our skills base. We need better investment. We need to improve productivity. Come on on then, Richard. Again, what what have they been doing for the last 12 years? (laughs) And I know there is that argument. I know the administrations have changed and shifted, whatever. You know, this country has also spent six years pretty much pointlessly fighting the brexit civil war you know the uh, the the time wasted in good governance that has been expended on that ridiculous exercise in hubris is mind-boggling i was thinking about it again today how historians will you know, if there is any history in it left, how historians will, will look back on on this nation's navel gazing and act of self sabotage for decades and decades to come, and wonder what on earth everybody was thinking. You know that we have expended so much time, energy, and self destruction on. On Brexit, it's mind-boggling, and I and I hate actually even returning to the subject because it winds me up so much. But that the government, the government is constantly the pyromaniac playing the fire brigade. You know, they they, they start the fire. Now we're <laughs> going to put out the fire. They start the fire. Now we're going to put out. I remember when I when I was a child in our village, there was a there was a a, a scout hut, and I often refer to it actually on Twitter, but sort of <laughs> in a roundabout way, there was a local scout hut which a group of kids, you know, set fire. I mean, there was nothing to do in an Essex village. I don't really blame them, and the scout unit was crap anyway. But anyway, they set fire to the scout hut, and then the very children who did it alerted everybody to the fire. And and that, to me, is the Conservative Party. 
More comments on Twitter in relation to the spring statement. Caroline Lucas, the Green MP, saying making those on lowest incomes pay so much for cost of living isn't just a crisis, it's a scandal and a political choice. The Chancellor could have introduced a windfall tax on obscene energy company profits and used it for real support and house to households, but chose not to. Adam Bienkoff, our Westminster colleague at the Byline Times, uh, quoting Rishi Sunak, says it has been a conservative mission to promote tax cuts for working people, says Rishi Sunak, and this is Adam now, it was raised taxes by a higher amount than any chancellor in almost a decade. And the Fire Brigades Union pointing out the rate of inflation is 4.9%. I actually think it's higher than that, isn't it? It 6.2% was announced today. I thought it was 6.3%, but I'm not... Yeah, well, we won't criminalise 1%. Yeah, yeah. uh, Anyway, they point out the firefighters' last pay award was 1.5%. Growth of the amount in the ultra-wealthy since the pandemic began, 11%. It's clear where Sunak needs to look if he really wants to sort the cost of living crisis. So... Clearly not going down as well with, uh, well, people on Twitter anyway, critics on Twitter as he did too with his, uh, with his Tory backbenches. But I'm sure that this is a budget that will get applause amongst the right-wing press. I'm sure that The Sun, The well, Daily Mail, you know, already headlines. I did see Harry Cole making... Beauty and all that. I saw Harry Cole of the Sun in passing making what looked to me like critical comments, but uh, I'm not sure. Harry Cole of the of the Sun um, suggesting that that uh, one penny uh, tax cut was was pretty pointless. Uh, it was a pretty pointless announcement. But yes, I think you're right. He's going for the sort of populist Middle England. Uh, vote, isn't it? Well, I'll tell you what, I'm just, look, I'm just looking at the uh, online editions now. The Sun Spring Boost. Rishi uh, Sunak slashes fuel duty by 5 people litre and gives major boost to low-income workers in spring statement. So uh, you, you kind of know, you know, not, I'm, not saying yeah, no. some, I'm not saying there won't be some critical comments somewhere. Buried, page. buried on page two where no one reads it, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, the, the, the question is... Clarifications. Yeah, the question is, are the British people this stupid, you know? Because, I mean, the cost of fuel and the 5p off, who who genuinely, who fuels their car at the pumps, is going to think, following the enormous price rises at, in, at petrol stations, that that is going to be some sort of great boost to the to their personal finances anyway yeah, although 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 Otto, maybe you know from when i fill up my car filling up my car used to cost me until quite recently about 60 quid and the last time i filled it up and in the space of about three months it, it's gone up to about 85 quid i've got quite oh. a big tank in fairness, but I, I do notice that. And obviously, it's not going to go back to 60 quid on account of this. I've, but... I've got a great tip for you there. Just always put £30 in it and you'll never notice. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's what I do. Yeah. <laughs> Don't drive so far. Just keep putting 30 quid in it. You'll never notice the difference, Adrian. <laughs> just to uh, maintain, just to maintain the theme of the the right wing papers supporting the budget and not really offering the kind of insight we've heard from Jeevan and Robert here. 
the Daily Mail. It's a very long headline, this actually. It would never have passed muster as a newspaper headline, but I'll give it to you anyway. Uh, Rishi splashes the cash to ease cost of living. Sunak unveils £6 billion national insurance cut, slashes fuel duty by 5p and says basic tax rate will drop by 20p, sorry, from 20p to 19p by 2024, but admits poorest will still be hit amid Russia standoff. So it's interesting, even though there's kind of the negative thing that the poorest will be hit, which they do acknowledge is kind of contextualized by what's going on in Russia than say as Caroline Lucas would have it, a political decision Yes Yeah, yeah, I mean that was was his long preamble about Russia and Ukraine was clearly uh, designed to to do that wasn't it, It was to offset the blame on on Putin and Russia You know, to some some extent there is some truth in that because of course that has created a uh, 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 lack of stability, and and it has created a crisis, and it has fueled the problems that that pre-existed. But it, you can't just blame Russia and Ukraine for these problems. Were you trying to smuggle in a cheeky pun there? No, no, <laughs> no, no. no. Uh, yeah, I didn't try. I did. The mail, the mail. By the way, it's, it's weird with the with the strapline underneath because there was that really long-winded strapline that I read to you. Yeah. You down the page. There's the headline. Rishi's fifteen billion pound giveaway. So you know oh. it is being very much portrayed as the you know basically Rishi Sunak could have written the headlines for him. Far be it from me to suggest that he actually did. Oh. <laughs> you know, it's it is the sort of thing that the the right wing tabloids are absolutely lapping up. Mm. Yeah, mm. was ever thus. Was ever thus, Adrian. Yeah, listen, um, thanks, uh, Otto. I'm going to um, close now, unless anybody's got something. To All say. right. Don't, don't worry if you yeah. haven't, though. It's fine. Don't need to, we don't need to wrap it on by any No, no, no. <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't talking to you then. <laughs> the listeners, you fool. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I was going to have a cup of coffee. Oh, All right, Lord, then. Lord. Anyway, listen. Um, anyway, it's been great to... speaking to you. And uh, get you back to I, I, Next time, we'll just dispense with the expert. We'll just have half an hour of knockabout, I reckon. Yeah, we'll do some sort of light comedy and I'll sing some songs. <laughs> uh, All right. English, Andrew Scott, thank you very much indeed. It's been great fun. And thanks also to our earlier contributors, uh, Jeevan Sander from King's College London and Robert Palmer from Tax Justice UK. And thank you to you for listening as well. You may be listening live here on Byline Radio. Radio, or you might be listening on Catch Up on the Byline Times podcast. We are here most weekdays at noon, but we do vary a little bit like we did today to maybe meet the news of the uh, spring statements. But uh, we'll be here most weekdays anyway at around 12 o'clock. So thanks very much indeed for listening live or for listening on Catch Up via the Byline Times podcast. And please head over to bylinetimes.com if you can and take out a subscription or a membership to the Byline Times, which helps support our work here on Byline Radio and the Byline Times podcast. And just to say as well, thank you to Harvey White. He does some fantastic work getting the podcast to air. If you want to drop me an email, it's goldbergradio at gmail.com, or you can direct message me on Twitter at Byline Radio. We'll see you again tomorrow at noon. Thanks for listening. Ta-da!